that time again for the assault on your ears we call Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me is Stavros. So, Stavros, what you uh, got on the agenda for tonight? Well, you know what? We should probably cover what we're drinking. Um, and in this case, we are drinking root beer and Southern Comfort. Um, in my case, I have A&W root beer because, you know, root beer. It seems it to, seems to make sense. It is the best root beer? Yeah. And, you know, I've been actually on the Southern Comfort train lately, especially when it comes to mixed drinks. Um, I specifically tend to go with various Coke products and Southern Comfort. And I've, I've never tried root beer um, until you suggested it for this episode. And I'm I'm really digging it. I like the mixed drinks in the first place, but it's uh, it's pretty tasty. Yeah, the root beer is the old faithful of mixers. It goes with a whole huge selection of items. And I think it'll be showing up quite frequently again on this nice. show. Nice. I'm glad to hear it. So... Let's talk about what we're watching. Tonight's episode is episode 5 of season 2, An Embarrassment of Duplers. I might as well give a synopsis of that episode. Uh, as the Cerritos crew prepares for the Starfleet shindig of the year, barriers to that celebration quickly arise as the captain finds herself beset by a rapidly duplicating emissary, and Mariner and Boiler find themselves smuggling contraband and special edition data bubble bath. Oh, Yes. And this episode is fantastic. <laughs> I think we both enjoyed this one. And of course, my boy Ransom starts <laughs> the episode by being the hero. Showing why he is the true blue number one. <laughs> you know, you're saying that he saved the day. I'm not sure that's true. I think uh, Captain Freeman figured it out first. I don't want to rain on your parade too hard, but I think that's what happened. Hey, well, haters gonna hate. <laughs> <laughs> the Doppler Ambassador, a uh, fantastic character played by a uh, well-known character actor, Richard Kind. Uh, prodigious number of acting roles. He shows up in so many uh, bit moments throughout all sorts of television and movie. Uh, he's a stage actor. And of course, uh, genre fans probably will remember him from Stargate Atlantis, where he played the rapist that everybody was somehow cool with. Oh, dear. I'm kind of, I feel lucky I haven't seen that particular episode. Oh boy, he shows up in a few of them, and why they haven't put him to death, I just don't know. <laughs> but you know, let's talk more about the Duplers. This episode is, you know, obviously one of the plots heavily focuses on the ship being taken over by duplicating uh, aliens. What I, I'm curious to know what you thought. I, I, I personally thought that it was very, uh, kind of like a Rick and Morty style joke, which, you know, obviously is makes sense because of Mike McMahon's background I thought it was funny but like uh, maybe a little too slapstick for for the Star Trek show but what did you think did you did you think it was a you know a good fit well I mean let me put on my white coat real quick <laughs> okay put on my scientist specs mm. from a evolutionary standpoint it actually kind of makes sense oh uh, they seem to duplicate in response to negative stress Yes. Uh, as they feel threatened, they quickly begin to duplicate, which in an environment where they are beset by predators, that's a great defense mechanism. A predator is probably only going to eat one, one dupler while the mm. other one gets away. Their response to re-merging is probably some sort of courtship ritual where they <laughs> attempt to establish <laughs> dominance and in that hostility re-merge, combining their genetic code, although not re-merge as... They would be two separate entities, thus ensuring genetic diversity. Hmm. 
Of course, the real question here is where the hell does all that extra matter come from when they keep duplicating? <laughs> Good question. Is it like a replicator scenario where they, you know, they have some kind of power source and they're creating stuff out of air molecules or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there would have to be some pretty dense air molecules for that to work. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. But then, you know, it was a fun episode and we're going to get those. So, where logic is pushed out the airlock for fun as opposed to you know the usual agenda for star trek where they push logic out the window to make up bullshit social <laughs> commentary yes oh uh, you know if they if they're really making commentary on evolution maybe you've you've nailed it i i don't think that's what's happening oh <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean i you know like i said you know i it, a little too slapstick and goofy but it it made for fun it, you know some good good problem solving by the senior staff and i like how uh, rutherford and tendy who are on board having to deal with the dupler problem completely you know ignore the issue because they have bigger things to deal with which is rutherford's worry that he does he's not facing up or he's not you know comparing very well to his former self well, and you see that in Star Trek and a lot of the ship in a bottle episodes where that's set entirely on the ship rather than dealing with some external problem is there's some problem on board the ship, but that's not the real thrust of the episode. The real thrust is some theme of, you know, personal problems or, you know, dealing with some past issues it's never about the replicating duplers <laughs> that's true but you know it, it's it's not very often where you see the characters in a, in a conventional star trek show just not care <laughs> like rutherford and tendy but yeah, that was pretty extreme <laughs> but i will say it it's 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 providing more ammo for my uh, tenderford relationship you know the best relationship on the show their relationship is fantastic but it doesn't have to be romantic you know? <laughs> that's true that's true. Sometimes the most meaningful relationships we'll have in life are our deep and long-running friendships. That's true. But, uh, you know, I'm just putting that out there that Tenderford is much ahead of, of uh, where Billup stands. His only line in the show was uh, being mean to some, some duplers. Yeah, well, they had it coming. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as, while we're talking about characters, you know, one of my favorite topics, guess who's not in this episode? Kayshawn. Uh didn't even notice because um, <laughs> yeah. you know Kishan's just a background character. I know you, you're always going on about where's Kishan, where's Kishan. <laughs> Who the hell cares where Kishan is? <laughs> Nobody's asking where Jet or Jennifer are. I mean, we all are hoping the answer is outside an airlock, <laughs> but we just don't care enough to investigate. <laughs> you know, all I'm saying is Kishan. You know, he was going to be the new chief of security, and now you're right. He's a background character. Yeah. Um, Shax obviously has the job back. He's the one that's in at the dinner with the Dupler. He's the one that's dealing, you know, on the bridge, dealing with the crisis during the during you know when all this is going down. So, so the real question is: Is Kayshawn getting Ensign Road or is he uh, getting Shelby'd? Yes, great question. What do you think is happening? I think I don't care. Like literally, <laughs> we're spending way too much time I, even thinking about. You know, I, I could care less, but I'd have to make effort to do that, and don't have the energy. <laughs> well, good. Uh, but you know, you know, other things I want to talk about um, is is the starbase that they go visit, uh, Starbase Twenty Five. And you know what? This is where I'm going to have to bring back our segment from from last episode. Damn it, Mike. 
Damn it, Mike McMahon. Oh my god. What, what's up your bum today? <laughs> Who's running the Starbase? You know, Captain Freeman talks to a Starfleet captain. Obviously, there's a Starfleet captain making the rules. But the whole place looks like a mall. And there are corrupt cops and who are also incompetent. But they're not wearing Starfleet uniforms. And Boimler and Mariner get away with all kinds of things. Basically, this is just random bizarre that's, you know it's just it's it's nonsense who's running this show and why are they so bad is it starfleet because if so they're just they're just doing a really poor job and they need to ratchet out this this corruption i think the the obvious answer here is who runs farpoint station who runs deep space nine there are tons of locations that are not starfleet bases where Starfleet has a presence. That's true. And I think that's the easy answer. I mean, maybe if you were actually a Star Star Trek fan, you oh, would know these things. Wow. You know what? It's not about that. It's about Shots we just need an answer. Like what what's going on? Why why are there why is security crooked and why does Mariner know? We just need an answer, Mike. You need an answer. I'm just along for the ride. You keep doing what you're doing, Mike. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> But yeah, the uh, corrupt station security, obviously not Starfleet. Their badges are little shields rather yes. than arrows. Yes. Um, and actually, you know, the, yeah. did you notice that their helmets, I, I kind of find them uh, kind of reminiscent of uh, Judge Dredd helmets a little bit. Yeah, you know, I feel like, though, we may have seen something similar in Star Trek in the past, but, mm. you know, I couldn't really place it and didn't have I think the you're energy right. to do the research. Yeah, I think we have seen some, you know, full helmet, full head helmet uh, aliens, you know in races so there is precedent for that you're right but it, it did give me a a dread kind of vibe but let's talk actually talk about the exterior first now that i've got all that complaining off my chest i don't really care about the exterior let's really talk about the ships that are parked there well that's what i that's where i was going with that yeah i mean there's a bunch of you know throwaway ships that nobody cares about and then <laughs> there's two ships yes and dorian vessels your favorite really meant to be two different classes of starship and not only do we see Andorian vessels parked mm. at the Starbase, we also see clearly Andorian officers on board the Starbase yes. wearing a uniform that is very much a callback to Enterprise. So I guess the real question here is, come on, dude, when are we getting an Andorian episode? <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, how how far away could it really be? You've, they've already got the ship models and the character uh, art. Just make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> We've looked at this shot before when it showed up in the trailers, and there's a couple of Starfleet ships out there. Wasn't sure if they were Parliament or Luna class, but after looking at it again in this episode, I'm pretty sure they were Parliament class ships, uh, which we sh- saw show up in season one. Yeah, I uh, think you're right about that. Yeah. Definitely. It, yeah, it's it's tough to tell, but if you look at the top, I, you, you can make it out. Um, then a couple of those Maquis Raider type ships, I'm not really sure if they have a real name. But that's where I know them from, is those, those mock They do, but I didn't expect you to talk about this, so I didn't do any research. <laughs> well, I did do some research, and they were called Maquis Raiders. Yeah, they're, so. they're, I think they use like a combination of the Peregrine tech ship right. model mm-hmm. and some parts from a uh, model kit for something else. Star Trek was famous for that's how they would come up with their kit bashes. They'd take parts from existing models... And then go to like the store and buy an off-the-shelf right. model kit and just like glue them together and be like, "This will work." And we didn't notice because we all had low-def TVs back then. That's right. Now they can't get away with that kind of stuff, or people like us are going to just dissect the heck out of it. Well, not me. I'm I'm just along for the ride. 
But yes, I did notice one of those Maki Raider ships, um, and a couple of those, I, I think Olympic class is the ones that have the spherical saucers and the kind of tubes attacked like, for the rest of the ship. So pretty cool to see that detail. That would make sense. Maybe Captain Crusher is hanging out at the Starbase. We don't know. Ooh, yeah. Good point. Wow. How long until we see Captain Crusher? Now we're going to get on completely sidetracked. Never. (laughs) Well, let's see. I mean, we see a lot of other detail about the Starbase. The interior, I kind of felt like it looked like like the inside of a mall. Yeah. A little Blues Brothers vibe there as they're driving through the mall. Yes. I think, though, that's just, that's the part of the station that we saw. There's got to be docks and, you know, living quarters. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like Deep Space Nine, you know. They were just on the promenade. They weren't on the docking ring. They weren't on the... I don't even know what they called the crew ring or whatever, but you know, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and you know, we're kind of we're kind of getting going to cross over to the uh, chase sequence where Boimler and Mariner are chased by station security. But there, are, <laughs> there's a, we also see a, a lot of other parts in the station. Actually, I thought one of the more hilarious parts of the episode was uh, I don't know if you caught it, but when the Mariner and Boimler are like crashing through various rooms, Boimler like announces what the room is as they're crashing through it. So he goes like, casino, (laughs) casino, barbershop, fine men's clothing, Vulcans, Vulcans, Vulcans. Yeah, I love that he yells that out three times. And then the Vulcans just kind of like, they don't even like fully turn around. They just like avert their eyes and then are like, fascinating. Yes. Uh, And they're in an Antara starship too. Yeah. Callbacks in this one. Oh my God. That is quicker. You're right. (laughs) But yeah, I, I found that interesting. I wonder, because like the TOS stuff makes makes sense, right? It's all building up to a very TOS moment at the end. But why the Enterprise stuff? I don't know. Yeah, they they're kind of they're kind of going around pulling every, like stuff from all the different shows at this point. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, definitely not. Although I do want to mention, since we talked about briefly about the barbershop, all the barbers are Bolians. I mean, obviously yeah, so, a TNG reference to uh, Mott there, but yes, is that just a so thing of, now? Well, I mean, the whole joke of Mott being the barber in TNG was that he has no hair. Bullions don't mm-hmm. have hair. Mm-hmm. So that's haha, that's funny. But it kind of makes me wonder, is that like, like a sub-school of xenobiology for Bullions to become <laughs> barbers? To study alien <laughs> hair and plumage? Or... It could be. I don't know, it's a weird thing. It very well could be. I mean, of course, we only see them for one second, so we, we it's only supposition at this point. But see a lot of stuff during the chase scene for only one second. Yes, yes, they just are cramming in reference after reference, even during chase sequences. Did you have any favorites? It was already shown in the trailers, but the uh, Antedans yelling out, "We're not people! We're not people!" Ah, <laughs> oh, God, I don't know why I love that joke. I don't know. <laughs> so hard for me. Interesting thing as they're busting through the aviary there's the bird aliens there which are from the tos episode where spock creeps on his younger self yes i believe they're called aurelians yes aurelians and it's funny because that sounds a lot like wasn't that also kind of sounds like morn's race as well it's close right their morn's race is called something similar i think it's like lurian 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 it's very similar i don't know gotcha yeah we definitely did our, did our research. But uh, what I can tell you, and what research I did do, is that the Aurelians are from the animated series episode yesteryear, and they've also shown up um, in some other, like, you know, in the background, other episodes of uh, of Lower Decks. So 
Mike, Mike is really enjoying the Aurelian presence, for sure. There's actually quite a few T uh, TAS references in this uh, episode too. Totally. Did you mm. pick up any other ones? I mean, not really. It's all background stuff. But in the bar sure. scene, there's some some yes. references in the background. Let's actually see where our where we cross reference our references in the bar specifically because that bar is jam packed full of stuff. Yeah, it's it's the just bar all that, pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the real question, though. It's all pictures, right? Yes. Yes. So, a lot of like, them, yeah. my, my first obvious question is there's pictures. One of them is of Telosians, right? Yes. And there's there's four of them, but three of those four is very much a take on, like, a stock photo of Telosians. <laughs> yes. But here's the real question. Is the implication that Telosians came to the bar... Like they're they're in their secret underground society and like they're just like hey is that a let, condition let's go on a bar crawl across the universe <laughs> yeah I mean they they probably have FTL ships right they can they can travel if they want yeah you also see Apollo from who mourns from a Ad- who mourns from who mourns for Adonis ooh I didn't spot uh, that one actually There's yeah Apollo. he's nice. he's the guy in the uh, toga. Man, nice. I really want to pull this scene up and watch it again. Like you could go frame <laughs> by frame and break everything down. Totally. These are just some of my my favorites. Sure. Well, let's see what else you got. Yeah, there's the picture of the three robot women from that uh, TOS episode whose name I cannot remember. <laughs> is it Mud's tons. women? I don't. Is it Mud's women? I don't think so. Oh. Ah, man, so many robot women <laughs> in uh, there are a lot of TOS. Robot yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know Roddenberry, man. Not judging, but uh, <laughs> he was into robot. Women, you do I mean. you, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I'm into robots in general as well. So, <laughs> well, let me list off the ones that I managed to pick out. I spotted Mares. That's the uh, Cation from uh, the animated series, as well as a picture of Rx, which is the the alien that I think James Doohan uh, voiced, like the really long necked one that that sits at at Con. The Telosians, of course, as you mentioned. I saw a toss uh, EV suit show up there. I also spotted ones of the black, the, the half black, half white faced dudes from the the planet Sharon from that original series episode. There's a salt vampire there I spotted. A strangely smiling Morn, or if it's not Morn, it's one of his species. Yeah, it's a Lurian, uh, Lurian which is weird yeah. because there's also a Lurian passed out in the bar. Yeah, <laughs> maybe um, it's a uh, it's it's popular with Lurians. And you know what the other weird thing is? So, like, there's a salt vampire picture, and this still goes yes. back to where did these pictures come from? <laughs> like, who Was decided that they made good vampire pictures? vampire hanging out in the bar at some point? <laughs> well, you know, your boy I Ransom uh, finds them I'm, all the time, I'm, so... Yeah, I'm on board for that, because, you know, we saw one <laughs> on the Cerritos attempting to uh, pick up Ransom. So, you know, maybe that's They're uh, around. what it was. They're around, yeah. yeah. A couple of others to squeeze in here. Uh, there's... The clown from the Voyager episode, The Thaw, which I think occurs in, in like a mental state, that like creepy black and white face Are you sure clown. that's the clown from I'm The Thaw? I'm pretty sure. I'm fairly like, sure. Yeah, I see what you're saying for that. Yeah. But it's a little blurry when we see it. Yes. And it makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> you know what? Nothing about these references make sense. But you know what? If you, uh, if any listeners out there think that, that this picture I'm thinking of is of something else, you can let us know on twitter or something but i'm pretty sure it's the clown from that voyager episode but actually i wanted to get your opinion there's a large picture that's actually behind boimler and mariner in this in this scene i feel like it's the bajoran light ship it's that ship that you know sails on solar winds I, i'm pretty sure that's what it is do you know which one i'm talking about it's, it's like this this the larger than all the other photos behind mariner and boimler 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. That has got to be the you think Victorian so? light ship. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the question is: Is it supposed to be Cisco's? Given that all the other <laughs> images appear to be famous images from famous mm. Starfleet captains, or is it just another Bajoran lightship that nobody believed existed, despite the time they would have sailed, Bajorans having been a technologically advanced species, mm. so that they were advanced enough to make it into space? Never really made a whole lot of sense. But yeah, I think that is definitely one of the uh, light sailing ships. Yeah, super cool. I mean, obviously the answer is they remember that DS9 episode and thought it was cool and put it in that photo. But <laughs> There's also a picture of Voyager, yes. the uh, TOS Enterprise, what I think might be... Or no, sorry, the uh, movie era, era Enterprise. There's also oh. what might be a TOS Enterprise, mm. but it's kind of hard to see because it's at a weird angle and it's like half cut off right. by the room geometry right god yeah they cram all kinds of stuff in there and actually did you notice all the models like the the various ship models and things they have in there i noticed a yeah. guardian of forever behind the bar there's also a phoenix model the is that from cochran ship yeah. and a, a doomsday machine model hanging above the drinks i believe above the liquor i actually completely missed the doomsday model yeah but yeah i got the other ones so the real question for me is is this dude just like all up on like Starfleet famous captains or is this supposed to be people like memorabilia of people who have visited his bar or is this like a Caesar and Gaul thing where <laughs> Kirk and Spock we think we've seen their adventures but in reality they just made all this stuff up based on things <laughs> they've seen before so they're sending these reports to Starfleet command yeah. and Starfleet's oh my god, these guys are super heroic doing these crazy <laughs> sci-fi rigmarole. Right. And it's all just made up by, by Spock and Kirk who are just doing their normal boring surveys and shoving yeah. people around. <laughs> I mean, think about what we do know. I mean, Spock and, uh, and Kirk show up at this bar and at least Kirk gets hammered and deface tables. And they just, like, make up all these things. And someone's like, wow, really? And they're, like, drawing pictures. And the, the barkeep's like, wow, we should put that up on our, on our wall if a, if a famous Starfleet captain, uh, you know, did, you know, interacted with one of these creatures. And then, you know, 100 years later, they're, they're still they're, it's still there on the wall. Of course, you know, you don't have to get hammered to deface somebody else's property. I mean, we've all carved <laughs> our name into weird places. Sure. But I do want to... that 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 scene definitely is Kirk and Spock shipper service. Because, yes, you know, totally. you see two people's named yeah. carved into something. You assume there's something more than there's just friendship there. Yeah. Of course, the real question is, when did they carve it into there? It was called out as 2260-something. Right. So, most likely, this was during uh, Kirk's time on the Farragut? Or Ooh. the Eagle? Or the Oxford? Or, you know what? Can we just pretend <laughs> the comics never happened? Um... <laughs> I'll keep the anime or the manga. The manga's okay with me. Let's just skip over the comics. You know, let's throw out the books too. They're pretty contradictory. So yeah, I'm going to assume he was on the Farragut. Spock, I think at this time, was probably then the science officer aboard the Enterprise. So yeah, the question is, how did they meet? And Kirk not getting into the big shindig makes sense, but why not Spock? Hmm. They must have been bros at that time. Even before Kirk was a fancy schmancy starship captain. Yeah, or, you know, maybe this was their first meeting and Spock saw a dejected young Captain Kirk rejected from the party and mm. not having a good time at the party himself mm. decides to attempt to make a pass at the 
young officer. <laughs> Kirk, being a woman's man, rejects him. Mm. But, as can happen, the two men hit it off. And, though there was never meant to be any romance in their future, a friendship blossoms that would echo across the ages. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I that, feel like that's my head canon, and I'm sticking to it. I, I feel like you've written some fanfic about this already or something. Does it exist? The only fanfic that I've written is the fanfic written upon my heart. <laughs> well, let's let's move on and talk about some other stuff, because there, there's so much to talk about in this episode. I don't know why. There's just a lot of things crammed into here, and a lot of it's so super cool. But we're talking about the bra already and blossoming relationships. So let's talk about Boimler and Mariner's relationship here. I mean... We we know from you know from the interviews and stuff coming to season two that uh, Mariner felt abandoned by Boimler and abandonment is a big theme in this episode. We learned that Mariner stranded Boimler on Rubicon three. That's the uh, the Edo planet where Wesley Crusher got the death penalty for stepping on some plants, which seems like a crappy place to strand someone. To be honest, I mean that's that's life threatening yeah. place there. Can you blame him? I think we all wanted to do that in season one of TNG. <laughs> but of course, Picard had to completely disregard the Prime Directive yeah. to save his secret love child. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, abandonment themes continue where um, Mariner had stranded Malvis. That's the Mazarian Mizar- shop owner that they interact with on City Alpha 4, which is obviously a, you know, Wrath of Khan reference because Khan, of course, was stranded on City Alpha 5. Well, the question is, though, because City Alpha 4 blew up, and that's the whole joke. Was he stranded on City Alpha 4, <laughs> or was he stranded on City Alpha 5? Yeah, unclear. Unclear. Kind of an issue there. But, uh, I mean, at least the Boimler Mariner have some character advancement, thankfully. Um, I, I love to see character advancement even on a comedy show like this, where, where Boimler, at least one of the duplicates, um, has a better relationship with Mariner. So he does. He decides to not abandon Mariner and has the extra special bonding time at the Kirkspock bar, which is renamed, remains unnamed. So I, was, I love to see that. I'm on board. Even though the uh, the the uh, Mazar, uh, Malvis is like makes a boyfriend comment, and they're both like, Ugh. yeah, you know, I hope that that never becomes a thing. Yeah, me too. But that being said, I think they're doing a really good job with something that a lot of Star Trek kind of flopped on, is that you can have fundamental changes in the way you look at the world and the way you deal with your relationships without fundamentally changing who you are as a person yeah and i think what happened in this episode allowed people to move past their personal problems while at the same time being the same character which works really well for episodic television because this isn't going to be an issue again hopefully if they're going to be decent writers but nobody's ever going to look at it down the road and be like, well, this doesn't make any sense. The character is completely ch- behaving differently. Right. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. It's nice to see. But since we're talking about Malvis already, well, like, like I said, he's a Mazarian. But I think we first see him in the TNG episode Allegiance, um, where uh, Picard's being tested by the weird alien en- entity folk. But he knows Mariner, obviously, and his race is supposedly a pacifist. But like his shop is just filled with guns. Well, I mean, not everybody of a particular race behaves exactly the same way. That's true. Yeah, we can't all follow the hats, the planet of hats. Have you noticed this seems to be a trope of Lower Decks, is they like to introduce characters that have a very, like you said, planet of the hats origin. And (laughs) completely change it. Do the exact opposite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, that's definitely the case with uh, with Malvis here. It's a funny story. I don't know if you spotted it, but in that shop there is a a like a kind of sparkly tunic, and it it I think what they're referencing is uh, Riker's sparkle outfit from that episode Angel One, where it's like the the planet ruled by women, and Riker's like, yeah, I'm gonna wear sexy earpieces and and like nipple showing tops. Yeah. I 100% think that's where that came from. <laughs> Out of oh place. Boy, that shop is full of references, but that one? <laughs> yeah. It's 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 out there for sure, but I I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it is and also hilarious. I had to I had to google it to make sure and I saw a lot of uh, Jonathan Frakes nipple. I'm not sure if, if I'll recover from that. Does that make you horny, baby? <laughs> You know, I think we should just move on. Actually, you know, speaking of outfits, something that I especially wanted to cover was the uniform stuff that comes up in this episode. The, you know, Boimler's like, should we wear the scant dress uniform? And Mary yes. kind of makes fun of him. But at least they still exist, which is nice. Yeah. But they, but they, everyone else, like, they, they kind of do this thing where, like, the Cerritos crew has these variations on the Nemesis dress uniforms. But they look a lot like the, their standard Cerritos uniforms. But everyone else on the Starbase is in the conventional Nemesis dress uniforms, which it's creating this disparity between the Cerritos crew and uh, and other Starfleet officers where, like, they, they're all wearing, like, the kind of grayish, you know, outside of dress uniforms, the standard duty, duty uniform. They're wearing the gray shoulders and colored, what do you call it, turtleneck. But the Cerritos and other California-class ships have, like, their own thing going on. So this actually kind of bothers me about this episode. So the whole premise of this episode is there's this big party going on for the Starfleet elites, right? The best captains. Right. But it's like, it's not just best captains. They clearly establish that there is a hierarchy, the in-group of the, like, capital ship crew members and then everybody else. That's right. Not only do they not get invited to the party, they are not allowed access. Not only do they have different uniforms that are, depending on who you ask, less complicated. Their dress uniforms are patently inferior. They are designed to be less complicated, less showy. Right. And it kind of creates this sense of a Starfleet with clear elitism and social stratification and that is not supposed to be the Federation. Um, that is not supposed to be Starfleet, especially. The only thing that's supposed to set you apart is your accomplishments, right? And that really bothered me. I do not like that portrayal. But it is a comedy show, and it really did lead to some humorous moments. Come to think of it, and when I was watching this episode, I was starting to think that the Cerritos crew, including the captain and all the senior officers, are sort of the lower deckers of Starfleet. They're kind of the lowest rung, don't really know what's going on, can't get to the cool parties. That's kind of what that made me think of. Yeah, I actually kind of got the same thing as well. Like I said, not a big fan of. The show tends to be pretty wholesome, and this episode has a really wholesome ending as well. But yeah, moments like these kind of makes me question Starfleet as a whole, which, you know, wouldn't be the first time. Maybe we'll get it kind of resolved as a theme for the show closer to the end. Maybe. We can only hope. Uh, but let's see, what else do we have to talk about? Let, you know, let's we we mentioned Rutherford and Tendi earlier on board the Cerritos, but let's talk about what they're doing, which is hilarious and amazing, and building their USS Cerritos model. Do you recall the intro shot where you first see the model, and it just looks like our low-res version of the Cerritos? Yeah, and at first you're like, oh yeah, it's out in space, <laughs> and then like, and there's like a mat on the table 
that's like a star <laughs> map or something which is why it looks like it's you know over the stars oh, ridiculous <laughs> utterly ridiculous yes yeah. they like they put on the little decal that says uss cerritos which is amazing yeah um, i've got to ask so these are quark models quark's models and apparently quark on top of having a having a franchise business um also does ship models for some reason um do you feel like do you think that the model came with a warp core and phasers and engines or is that something that rutherford and tendy added to the to the ship i'm model? willing to bet that the models are basically like miniature drones and like a part okay. of the fun of putting them together is connecting all of the components to make it work famously o'brien mm. actually had talked about that was his thing he made model starships yes, model when ships he was right younger. yeah him and Picard, right? They they bond over yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. When uh, O'Brien is leaving, episode, yeah, it's actually a great moment because it really makes Picard seem like because he's always kind of like standoffish and Mister Serious, right? But it kind of makes right. him seem you know much more. Even though he is standoffish, even though he is serious, he does actually care about his people. It's just such a fantastic scene, and it just it kind yeah. of made me giggle a little when I saw it show up here. Rutherford's really taken with it. Yeah, that. you know what? I'm betting that there's a whole crew of engineers out there that that is their hobby. You know, they like working on ships and <laughs> being in the tubes yeah. is great. But sometimes you just want to put a model together. That's true. I do want to mention though that you met it's Quark brand models, and yes, they get the ds9 model at the end of the episode and he references right. it has both a esri and a jadzia which means <laughs> that rutherford is familiar with the adventurers of the ds9 crew they yeah. frequently have arguments over other famous crew members i feel like this may actually be leading into something that has been a fan question for a long time is star Ooh. trek really secretly dystopian underneath do (laughs) starfleet officers go out to seek new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before not for mere scientific curiosity or to improve the universe they live in or do they go seeking entertainment because shit's real boring back on earth It's impossible to tell. The only the only time we've seen things happen on Earth is, uh, you know, generally takes place at restaurants uh, <laughs> or vineyards. So. But you know what? <laughs> this plays into that, though, because if the adventures of the Starfleet officers are being so heavily commoditized and there is all these adventures out there, I mean, Riker enjoyed playing chef for some reason aboard the Enterprise, yes. which implies that yeah. there is a market for hollow novels about famous starfleet ships and Mm. oh boy that really raises some weird questions doesn't it well see the thing is is that the quirk also puts out a model of the cerritos which is arguably a not famous starfleet ship so does he just do every single one because the costs are so low yeah they can he can just make a model for anything he probably just has a crew uh that sits around and designs the model specs that anyone can replicate and (laughs) they just keep making chips in the hope that one of them will get famous the real question is how long has the cerritos been a model Mm. do they just they they just pop out a model like the second the ship is commissioned like cork is out there like scouting Uh, he's got like scouts at all the shipyards and he puts out the model like when the ship flies out of space dock it's like part of the christian or maybe there was a time when captain freeman was the up-and-coming officer and cork's like she's gonna do big things let's get ahead of the market and put out a ship 
and then mm. the ship doesn't do great things. They fight Peclids, <laughs> and then he's all like, I'm ruined! <laughs> Entirely possible. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the show in general, uh, I, I mean, number one was obviously Vulcans, Vulcans, Vulcans. Um <laughs> But number two was uh, when Tendi and Rutherford eject the warp core, and the little, like the really high pitched uh, computer voice. voice was like ejecting warp core. <laughs> that was great. Uh, Very much like a uh, the two keys to launch the nuclear missile. I don't think any time Star Trek has ejected warp cores or been physical keys like that. So it's yeah, it's always definitely like a, a modern reference. Yeah. yeah. But still hilarious, dude. Like turning them with tweezers. Very. Uh, if you did, you ever put together any like Star Trek models in your in like the nineties when I, they were really big? I mean, big? who hasn't? Yeah. I I was never successful. I could never get things yeah. to glue quite right, and they would be like slightly off yeah. kilter. Mine never came out good either. So, but you know what? We can't all be uh, a Rutherford <laughs> and attendee. So. But you always have big ideas when you get the model, and then it turns yeah. out to be garbage. That's true. Well, you know, I mean, we're getting towards the end of this episode. We've been going for a while, but uh, some other random references I just wanted to point out because they were amazing um, is that Captain Shelby from Best of Both Worlds shows up in the uh, and is even mentioned by um, Boimler in the Starfleet party. Looks exactly like her character in uh, in that TNG episode, yeah. with the exception of the uniform. Definitely, uh, that was awesome. And you know what? She was an up and comer in that episode, so it makes sense that she is a captain. Yes, yeah, complete sense. I mean, you see, you notice her number one, um, kind of an obscure reference, but um, it's kind of like the multi-eyed uh, alien that whose head is kind of shaped like a V. And, you know, it's that was actually a early makeup concept for Saru that they actually put on the actor's face. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know if it just didn't look right or it was just too much of a hassle to put on, but it's kind of cool to see something like that show. Yeah, up. if you look up the original design, it looks fantastic, but I'm willing to bet it did not translate well to screen. Just that many eyes. Mm. I just I can't imagine them not looking really fake once filmed. Yeah, it would, it would probably take a lot of upkeep to have them all looking around or all looking at the same thing, or yes. probably be pretty annoying. But you know, if we are making references to people in the bar, there is the most outrageous yes. reference. Yes, Okana, who has uh, been hired as a DJ for some reason. Yeah, and has an eye patch. <laughs> Why an iPad? Yeah, what's guys? happening there? Like I, I almost like <laughs> I thought they were gaslighting me or something for a minute there. I had to go back and double check. Did he have an eye patch? And I just don't remember it. But no, they just thought, hey, let's throw an eye patch on there. Yes, yeah, so if you're not familiar with the episode, that's the TNG episode, the outrageous Okana, um, and it just makes it even more hilarious when uh, Captain Freeman says this is this is outrageous. So. Kind of funny. They they mention him at first, and, it, and I I heard that and I was like, that sounds familiar. And then they show him at the end, and I was like, yes, the like floofy armed like pirate character yeah. from early TNG who knocked up some high muckety muck from yes. some random planet. That's right. Um, <laughs> weird episode. Yeah, fun to see. Yeah, well, as was much early TNG. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's easy to talk about Star Trek now, and you see all these conversations about what it's doing and you know the social connection and implications of the episodes but it's really important to realize that when those episodes were launched of early tng that we look back now and are like oh yeah that's super weird well they're super weird for a reason our culture back then was Mm. very different than it is now and sometimes those episodes are super weird because the way you engaged with societal problems had to be 
super weird otherwise you might get shut down by producers or censors or distributors yeah yeah you're totally right you have to look at it in the context of uh of the society in which it was made yes definitely true alas i do want to talk about one quick thing and that is the final scene where beckett reaches out to her mother and they have a brief exchange where yes the lies they tell are not to each other but to themselves as they <laughs> deny their sadness about being unable to get into the party. The fancy party, yeah. yeah. But they also reach out and they reject that Starfleet elitism and instead choose to embrace each other. And as we close on the episode, there's a beautiful scene of Boimler and Mariner right next to Kirk and Spock. As if to say, this is just a beginning of the glorious careers that will one day be talked about by other officers throughout the galaxy. Brings a tear to my eye. No, it doesn't. We all know you're an emotionless robot. <laughs> oh, that's true. How's your drink doing over there? With that poignant reminder, I am going to take a step back and pour myself another drink and commiserate <laughs> alone. But... If you're feeling like you could do more of this conversation, you can show up next week as we review episode six. Or check us out on Twitter, at Lower Dorks. And if you still want a more intimate moment, you can skulk around bars in distant star bases and find two strangers carving their names into the bar top. Are the two strangers you and me? Jesus, dude. Way to ruin the moment. <laughs>